0: This time on Women Talk Back, Joe dawson gerard speaks with the very solutions-oriented Lindsay Plummer, a director from the transport consultants Plumwood. As well as discussing Lindsay's role in the transport sector, they talk about the things Lindsay is seeing the most at the moment, what she expects the future to hold, and how
1: is a maths whiz.
0: So, today on Women Talk Back, I'm absolutely delighted to be interviewing someone who we've previously interviewed on our webinar, and that is Lindsay Plummer, director at Plumwood. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> really good, thank you. Thanks for coming. The reason I wanted you to come and talk to us today is because. The purpose of this podcast is to interview inspiring women in transport and there's no one more immersed in transport than Plumwood Consultancy except for Backhouse Jones, of course. Of course, yes,
1: (laughs) obviously. (laughs) So I
0: wondered if you'd start by telling me a little bit about how you got into the transport world because it is a male-dominated environment.
1: It definitely is. I wouldn't say that I necessarily aimed For a career in transport, (laughs) when I left school, I actually started off as a nursery nurse. And while I was doing that, I saw my uncle, he had started a transport consultancy called Plumwood, and he needed some administrative help. So he asked me if I had any friends that would like a part-time job. I said, no, I don't, but you can offer me a full-time job if you'd like, (laughs) which he said yes to. We went from there and I found out what transport was the day I started, really. And when was that? Ten years ago now. Wow, a whole decade ago. So you really learned on the job. A hundred percent, yes. So tell me a little bit about what your business does do. We help HGV operators, so we don't do bus and coach, but we help HGV operators get to a compliant level with their operator license and then stay compliant and aim for best practice. So we may do that through monthly ongoing relationships with them. Mm -hmm. So we might be helping them with their tachograph analysis, giving them week to week what needs to be done and how to do it. We also do just tachograph analysis for customers and we do FOURS accreditation fleet operator recognition scheme. And a typical day for you, what would that look like? (laughs) I don't know that there is a typical day. (laughs) From day to day, I could be... On the phone with my account. So I'm an account manager for a group of our customers. So they could call me up for literally anything. They've got a question about their operator license. Something's gone wrong, then they'll call me up. I could be dealing with audits for potential new customers. So we go through possibly on site, depending on where they are or remotely. So I could be going through all of that paperwork, writing them up a report, or I could be in an audit the other way around, so I could be sitting in an audit. It just goes on. (laughs) Do you get many crisis situations? Yes. So we get it both ways. So it could be that a driver of an existing customer is at the roadside with the DVSA or something might have gone wrong on the road. We have to deal with that, obviously, immediately. Also, we get new customers come to us that have got, say, a public inquiry in two weeks, that we need to help them with, we need to get all the paperwork in line, make sure that there's an understanding in the company of what they need to do. That, I would say, is probably the biggest crisis that we get as a company.
0: And then presumably that's often when you will work with people like us.
1: Exactly. So normally it will either come with solicitors. So they've got solicitors for the public inquiry preparation, and we're making sure that the operator understands how to be compliant. Also, they could come to us, say, we've got a public inquiry at this point, and then we have to take it to solicitors because we don't represent a public inquiry.
0: How do you find being a woman in a male-dominated environment? I can't really say that I've ever
1: noticed any difference. I did go to an all-girls school. I oh, was in a nursery, yeah. which was, I think we had one male there, so that was very female-dominated Going into transport, obviously, I realized that the majority of the drivers, the majority of the operators were male, but I didn't feel like they treated me any differently because I was a woman, except there was one occasion where the culture of the operator, Mm -hmm. I would say, he was very much, I would ask a question and he would direct it at Gary, the answer, because, Uh um, yeah, he just wouldn't talk directly to me for a while. But we got over that and now he's a customer. Your customer, fantastic.
0: That's really interesting to hear. Yeah, Mm. that's right. That you were made to feel welcome. I like
1: that. To be honest, there are benefits of being female, such as. as So, (laughs) I would say when you are issuing training to drivers or you're going through infringements. I think that coming from a female perspective, it doesn't target their ego as much as if it was coming from a male counterpart. So there are times where they might be able to come to me with a question that possibly they wouldn't go to a male transport manager or a male transport consultant with. So they might feel a bit vulnerable going to them. And with me, they feel like they'll just get an answer and not have to deal with any of the ego behind it.
0: Uh, Yeah, I bet that is the case. And presumably now you're coming across more and more women in the industry. So
1: yes, definitely. To be honest, there's always been women in the industry that I've dealt with. So I think maybe because of the work that we do, we deal a lot with the administration side. So we deal with a lot of paperwork. And whether that is an owner operator's wife, or whether that is a girl in the office, a lot of our dealings are with them in transport. So I have always felt that. But now there are female drivers we're getting. We're getting mm-hmm. a lot of female operators and transport managers. We're increasing, <laughs> I would say. If you had to give three current
0: hot topics that you're coming yeah. across all the time now, what would those be?
1: I would say everything to do with restricted operators. So where they don't necessarily have the knowledge of what their undertakings are. Mm -hmm. So that could be from roller brake testing. Either they don't do it because they weren't aware of it. It just has one MOT. They do it four times a year because they think that's enough and it doesn't need to be done every inspection or they do it every inspection, but they don't look at the results. So it could have failed. There could be lots of different issues with it. They're just ticking a box, aren't they? Exactly. I would also say inspection frequency of vehicles over 12 years old, where they should realistically be brought down to six weeks and operators just let that go by because they don't realise. Is that because they're older and therefore need more maintenance? Exactly, yes. It could be that it's the oldest lorry on the fleet and the rest of the fleet are running to 10-week inspections, so they don't realise that it needs to go down to six weeks. Or it could be anything, really. Their whole fleet could need to be six weeks. We don't get that as much because we tend to deal with customers that are southern, so they normally have to go into London and therefore have to be ULES compliant. And the third point? I would say driver's hours which is always a hot topic, (laughs) especially the types of customers that we have. So we might have scaffolders, we might have roofers that they don't see their job as being a driver they see their job as being a scaffolder. They don't tend to hit four and a half hours of driving in a day, but they still have to show their working time breaks on their tachograph, which they don't. That I think is the third biggest issue that we see.
0: Yeah, the changes that were being enforced more recently have really caused some problems, haven't they? Manual entries,
1: yes. Actually, I think that is the third one rather than the working time. Tell us a bit about that. I think the issue is that Even if they understand that they have to do a manual entry, that doesn't necessarily mean they know how to do it. So they could be just pressing, yes, I'll do a manual entry on the tachograph and not actually inputting the details of the other work they've carried out. Or they could just be pressing no and leaving no manual entry at all, which therefore leaves a gap in their records. But what we like to do is we issue training to the drivers using images or a video of how to do it. And then also when the driver gets in to do a manual entry for the first time, if it is their first time, then they call us in the office and we talk them through it step by step. That's great. It's the only way realistically to do it because as much as a driver can look at a piece of paper or look at a video and think they understand it, until you go to do it, you don't really understand it fully. And when you do go to do it, if you let it time out or if you mess up the first few, like the first hours and minutes then you've messed up the whole thing and you can't go back very easily. So we like to be on the phone when they're doing it.
0: And then you're going to catch any problems
1: straight away, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. So we want to get to the source of the problem as soon as we can.
0: Presumably you end up developing your team, quite a close relationship with the various operators,
1: almost as if you're part of their team. Yeah, it does feel like that sometimes. So as much as you aren't part of their team, like they are their own entity and they are responsible and we can only tell them what to do. It does feel like you're part of their team and you're in the trenches with them. You're like, come on, let's get this sorted together. It just does feel like that, really. And I bet it takes a weight off their mind because you're coming Mm. with solutions, not problems. Yeah. Actually, possibly sometimes to my detriment, (laughs) the other people in the office might say. But I really dislike giving a problem without giving a solution mm, me too. and without being able to help with the solution. So if I'm not going to go to an operator and say, right, this is your issue, have fun, or this is your issue, read some guidance on it. I'm going to say, right, this is your issue. I've read the guidance. We'll talk about it together. We'll deal with it with the driver's and we'll come out the other end. And talk about it in context. That's what people need, they need practical
0: guidance and handholding. We find that too, not just being told what the legislation says because that's just unhelpful.
1: Yeah, and you'd be there for so long telling them the different bits that the legislation says, depending on what type of operation you have and everything. You have to take that into context and give them what they need to know and what they need to do.
0: Oh, Fascinating. Now, going back to yourself in terms of... Mm -hmm talking about what someone needs to know. If you knew what you know now, 10 years ago when you
1: started out, would you have changed anything? Would you have done anything differently? I don't think so, because I am one of those really annoying people that believes everything that happened led you to where you are now. For a reason. Yeah, exactly. So I wouldn't have changed anything. The only thing I might have changed looking back even further is the pressure that I put on myself prior to transport to go into a career that got me really high in the ladder, if that makes sense. Mm. And that's funny because transport has shown me that, because I do now sit in rooms with the managing directors of companies and I just look at that and think, it wasn't everything. (laughs) Didn't really need to get there, did I? But yeah, that's good.
0: Well I suppose you're the master of your own destiny
1: now, aren't Mm. you? Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly. And a Little Bird tells me you're actually doing a
1: maths degree as well on the side (laughs) in your spare time when everyone else is uh, going to the pub or the cinema. I do do those things as well. (laughs) But yeah, no, I'm in my last year of my maths degree through the Open University. Why did you decide to pick maths? Because I enjoyed it at school. Ah. And I did think just before I had started my career in transport, I did then consider going to university to do maths. But then obviously I bumped into Gary and this happened. So I thought, well, I've told myself I can do it. Now I've got to show myself that I can. Nearly there.
0: Good for (laughs) you. And I suspect that should be quite useful in your day-to-day job, won't
1: it? It would be with driver's hours. However, calculators can basically do it by themselves. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Why make it more difficult for yourself? Well, exactly.
1: I'm not sure that algebra really helps. What about some of the future plans for Plumwood? Take over the world? Is that (laughs) one? (laughs) No. I'd definitely say it's to get more transport managers internally. So at the moment, we're building our team up. There's six of us at the moment. Yes. All female, except Gary, who's the only male. (laughs) So I would say build the team up so that we can take on more accounts. We all have accounts ourselves, so we're all account managers. Mm -hmm. We need to build the team up, to take on more accounts, and basically help as many operators as we can to understand what it is they need to do. Because I do think there are a lot of operators out there that don't fully understand what they signed up for when they signed up for an operator license. And what do you think is key in doing that? Getting information out to people. Training. Yeah, so I would say training is part of it, like formal training where the operator goes on, for example... An OLAT, of course. Just like the one Backhouse Jones Just like that online one, online, yes.
0: particularly. <laughs> That's it. Check out backacademy.com. <laughs> it's actually Back Academy
1: that runs it. But yeah, I think there's definitely a place for that. But then also following that up with handholding, which is what I think we add to it. So we will take an operator through each stage. So they'll go on an OLAT. So they'll go on Backhouse Jones's OLAT and they'll be told... 10 things that they need to do, and they'll take notes and they'll take that away. What we then do is as they go through those 10 stages, we point out the different aspects of everything that they have to do within that Mm -hmm. that they might have forgotten from the training that they did.
0: So you make it even more practical. Exactly, yeah. And apply it to a particular situation which actually when I've been on courses is the one thing I really kick myself about because I try and take notes so I can go home and then try and apply it practically at work but it's actually very difficult isn't it
1: yeah and I think if someone is telling you that when you get a new driver you need to do all these things and you've written it all down and it's all happy days and then when you actually employ a new driver and you're going through your list and you suddenly think oh I can't quite remember what that actually was or I can't quite remember the steps of doing this induction or driver assessment. That's when you need the assistance.
0: Right. So probably the level of
1: detail that's over and above what's in the training. Exactly. Or it could have been in the training, but not in your notes. You've just taken down the main notes, haven't you?
0: Oh, that's fascinating. So, yeah, your aim then is... Medium to long term working with people, so as part of their team, as we've just discussed, really.
1: Yeah, we do um, retain our customers normally for quite a while. So, if a customer comes to us on monthly compliance, they tend to stay with us for a good few years while they get up to date on everything. And then, obviously, the minute they're up to date, something changes. So, then we keep them up to date in that aspect. So month on month, we tend to have the same customers come back to us all the time. So just adding to that, really.
0: So that's a good sign, isn't it? Happy customers
1: come back, don't they? Happy customers come back. And I would say 90% of our customers all come through word of mouth as well, which is another good aspect. But it's also a bad aspect because we need to work out how to advertise better (laughs) because obviously the advertising isn't exactly bringing in the customers it's our other customers that bring in customers
0: although um, that kind of advertising could have impacted on that as well people yeah, often that's true. need more one kind more than one kind of um, promotion to make them mm. make a buying decision i think they say on average you have to be touched eight times effectively by some kind of information before you yeah. make a purchase choice in terms of the future for the transport sector talk to me about
1: what you think is key? I would say, obviously, in the future, autonomous vehicles Mm -hmm. are definitely coming. How that looks in a transport setting, I'm unsure yet. Whether that means that you will still have lorry drivers, but they'll be sitting, not necessarily doing the driving. I I don't know how that's going to work, but I definitely Mm -hmm. think that is the future.
0: More like a conductor on a bus.
1: Exactly, yeah. I don't really know how that's going to work, but
0: It's been trialled, hasn't it? Not so much, I think, with HGVs rather, but I was reading an article and I listened to a podcast on the Uber trial in LA Yeah, with driverless
1: vehicles. I don't know how that's going to relate to HGVs necessarily, but it's definitely coming, 100%.
0: I wonder if there's an element of fear that
1: exists amongst everybody still. I imagine that there definitely is. I am a little bit apprehensive about it. Obviously, I know they're not going to let anything go through until it is safe. But for example, this morning, driving in my car on the way here, I had the cruise control on the motorway set, and it automatically clocks to the speed limit. The car then thought that the speed limit had gone from 70 to 50. So slowed me right down in the middle lane on the motorway, when actually it was still 70. So I don't know how they're going to overcome things like that, but they must be able to. Obviously, there is some fear, I assume, with a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I think we expect the number of fail-safes to be put in to prevent accidents. Yeah, I suspect that's probably one of the biggest fears.
1: They must do that before they do any kind of trials with lorries on the UK roads anyway. I think there have been trials in other countries with lorries. I don't know much about that, so I'm not going to
0: pretend to. Do you have one person in your lifetime? They don't have to have be been alive in your lifetime, but just one person who has inspired you. It doesn't have to be female, it could be male.
1: I wouldn't necessarily say there was one person that inspired me. I would say that female-wise, I had a lot of powerful women raise me. So I think my mum is very independent. My nan is the fittest, most mentally able 80-year-old I've ever met. <laughs> My aunt, who's also in Plumwood, is literally the most hardworking person I've ever met, male or female. So I think having them as like role models definitely inspired me. But I don't think there's one person that I could pin it on.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> I like that. What's the worst piece of advice someone has given you? And did you take it, Lindsay?
1: <laughs> so I don't know if it's, Necessarily advice, but I would say that when I was going through secondary school, there was not really any other option presented to us than you'll go to university. And I almost kind of rebelled against that. So I left sixth form halfway through. I had my A levels because we'd done them a year early. So I had what I needed to go to university if I wanted to. But the amount of pressure and everything that was put on, and I put on myself, technically it was advice from myself because I pressurised myself, but yeah. I had nothing left and I left school earlier than I would have done, I think. Like the worst advice is to put that much pressure on grades and university, which might not go down well, but I think that that was the worst advice. There's always
0: life after if it doesn't go well, isn't there? I do feel
1: for teenagers
0: at the moment taking their GCSEs and A-levels because I think there is a lot of pressure heaped on them.
1: Yeah, I can remember in school doing things like having to finish coursework so you'd stay up till 11 go to sleep because you were too tired to carry on wake up at 3am to start your coursework again before school (laughs) and that looking back on that that's just ridiculous for something that obviously grades matter and you should get the best grade you can but it's not your worth and at the time it felt like your worth is what grade you get
0: yeah it feels like the end all and be all you can't see yeah. any further ahead can you there are other routes and actually even if that's your chosen route you can always reset can't you Yeah exactly top advice there I think for anyone going through that now to finish what I'd like to ask you is if you had to give three top tips to operators listening today mm-hmm. from everything that you know
1: what would that be Oh that's a difficult one only 3 right Well, you give as many as you like. (laughs) I'll just start (laughs) reeling off the whole thing. I would say the first and main piece of advice is if you get a DVSA desk-based questionnaire, give it to someone like Backhouse Jones, like a transport consultant. Mm -hmm. Do not just willy-nilly answer it. You don't try (laughs) and wing it. We always say that to people. Don't try and wing it. Do not wing or anything to do with the DVSA, but especially their questionnaires at the moment from remote enforcement, because it's very, very difficult to bury yourself with things that you might not even necessarily mean, but you've written it down. So
0: And presumably if they're answered carefully, you can head off a problem at the pass.
1: Yes, exactly. And all operators have problems. I don't think there's going to be one that doesn't have a problem, but it's identifying the problem and not fixing it, but identifying it and having something prepared for when they come back and say that it is actually an issue. I see. So I think that's really important. I would also say on the guide to maintaining roadworthiness, at least skim read it (laughs) if you're an operator. Our clients read it cover to cover every night. Of course they do. Yes. So do ours. Yeah. I'd say you have to look at it at least. To try and work out the best course of action for yourself. Obviously, you can also talk to a transport consultant or backhouse Jones. I would finally as well say drive a CPC training. Don't wait and do all five at the same time. Spread them out for your drivers so that they're doing one per year. Obviously, you don't have to necessarily dictate to them which ones they're doing, it's a good idea to tell them. What ones you think would be good for them, but at least program it in so that they are having continuous professional development and not five days every five years squeezed into one week. That's what I'd say.
0: Lindsay, thank you so much for coming today. I've really enjoyed our chat. And uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> my pleasure.